0: This Week in Pediatric Oncology, the podcast exploring hot topics and exciting advances in childhood cancer. TWIPO is produced by Solving Kids Cancer, nonprofits located in New York and London, dedicated to improving research and supporting families because every kid deserves to grow up. Subscribe to TWIPO through your favorite podcast platform. This Week
1: in Pediatric Oncology, the podcast about new advances for childhood cancer. Hi everybody, welcome to episode 101, recorded on August 25th, 2022. I'm your co-host Brenda Weigel from the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I am joined here today by my co-host Tim Kripe from Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, affiliated with The Ohio State University. Today on This Week in Pediatric Oncology, We are honored to have as our guest, Dr. Will Parsons. And I am thrilled to introduce my friend and colleague who is a pediatric oncologist at the Texas Children's Hospital and Hematology Center at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. He is the holder of the Sidney L. and Donald F. Faust Chair of Pediatric Cancer Precision Medicine and has spent his career really defining the molecular signatures of many childhood cancers, but most importantly of brain tumors with a specific emphasis on gliomas. Dr. Parsons initially received his bachelor's in chemistry from Princeton University and a combined degree in MD and PhD degrees at the Ohio State University College of Medicine. Um, So we are well represented by Ohio uh, today. Uh, he then went on to complete a pediatric residency at Johns Hopkins University, and also stayed on to complete an oncology and neuro-oncology fellowship, also at Johns Hopkins in combination with the pediatric oncology branch of the National Cancer Institute. Most recently, and and I would say the real focus of today's topic is that Dr. Parsons has had a leadership role within the Children's Oncology Group and has been chair of the NCI and COG Pediatric Match Trial, the first nationwide precision oncology trial for children with relapsed and refractory solid tumors, lymphomas and histiocytoses. And we are so honored to have him here today to talk to us about that landmark trial and uh, talk about what we have learned from it, but also next steps. So with that welcome, Uh, Well, we are thrilled you're here, and if you can, for our audience, just initially tell us what is the pediatric match trial and why has it been so important um, for pediatric oncology in this day and age.
0: Right, it's great to be here. Good to good to see you again, Brendan. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, I guess maybe I'd start by just taking one step backwards, just to say, kind of the background of the trial is that. The last 10 to 20 years has been a time of incredible discovery <laughs> in the genetics of cancer, so trying to understand uh, better why cancers develop, uh, what changes in you know the DNA and RNA and the genetic code of, of, of cells uh, cause them to become tumors or become cancers. And so we've learned an incredible amount in, in both adult and pediatric cancers about what are the key genes and molecular pathways and and changes that occur in in cancer cells that make them what they are. And so the pediatric match trial is really building upon that to take the knowledge that we we had gained over the last 10 to 20 years about specific molecular pathways that are important in pediatric cancer, and then start to test some of the molecularly targeted drugs and therapies that have been designed over this time to actually target those changes that, that are occurring. So the idea really is to set up a nationwide trial where we could identify patients, uh, both children and young adults with treatment refractory cancer. So cancers that have not responded to previous treatments of all types. So solid tumors, uh, brain tumors, uh, lymphomas, uh, basically everything but leukemias because there's a number of other trials and you know and studies and advances there. to set up a, a nationwide framework such that we could identify patients that we think would have a good chance or potentially have a good chance of responding or be appropriate to treat with specific targeted therapies. So really the idea is to build upon that previous knowledge of, of, of the genomics of childhood cancer, make investigational targeted therapies accessible to children and young adults across the country, and also to set up a framework for doing uh, kind of molecular testing or analyzing each patient's tumor to see what changes they have to figure out what trials might be best for them, so that that's kind of the the long answer about pediatric match.
2: Oh, Will, it's great to see you and go Tigers and go Bucks. Question: how, When you first set out to do this, which and you were one of the first, I think. Uh, what were your expectations, or what were you sort of thinking that you might be able to? How, how successful did you think it would be? What take us back to the sort of time frame when you were creating this, and you know?
0: Yeah, it's um it's actually as as Brenda <laughs> knows well it's it's been quite a, a a long uh stretch to getting this like like any clinical trial to, from the first uh, kind of thinking and ideas about it to the implementation and so for pediatric match i think we first started talking about it back in 2014 2015 maybe and um it's actually a a pretty amazing trial in that it represents i think a lot of what is uh really great about the collaborative nature of pediatric oncology research, right? I mean, we all know that, that especially as kind of one of the, the, the ideas of precision medicine or precision oncology is that we're, instead of treating all patients the same, even all patients with a specific cancer type the same, we're picking out individual patients that we think might specifically respond to a treatment, to a therapy and that sort of thing. And once we start getting that fine or that precise, Obviously it's 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 really hard in pediatrics to have any sort of trial that's powered to learn something uh, run at an individual hospital or an individual site. And so match is kind of the epitome of that, right? So we knew we needed to get enough patients to do a, a useful study. We needed to identify them from all across the country. And so it's really been an amazing experience for me in terms of uh, a partnership between the Children's Oncology Group, uh, the National Cancer Institute, led by Nita Seibel, who's the, the NCI co-chair for the study, uh, the FDA, uh, our advocacy organizations, our patients and their families. And uh, our hope was really to, to twofold. One, to set up this framework so that we could do precision oncology trials of this sort across the country. And we had every expectation that that would be able to be feasible. And it has been, which, which has been very gratifying. But then what we're starting to see now are the results of some of those individual trials and learning about what, the individual drugs, uh, their uses or, or their challenges in terms of, of, of pediatric cancer patients. So for me, it's it's really been a great experience and also a learning experience in trying to understand, um, you know, learn more about the strategy for these trials. And obviously, this is just one specific high-profile area of cancer research. There's similar work going on in immunotherapy and others that I know you've, you've discussed on your, on your podcast.
2: Well, I guess um, when you were starting, what percentage of patients did you think You might find something useful and be able to translate that. And how is that compared to what your findings have been?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So, one of the concerns about the feasibility of such a study has been that, in general, there's an understanding that pediatric cancers have fewer changes or fewer mutations than adult cancers do. And so, there is some concern that, in terms of feasibility, it might be challenging to identify patients, pediatric patients, who have targetable, what we call targetable alterations or targetable mutations. When we first devised the study, I think we projected that maybe on the order of, of you know, 10% of patients, maybe we might be able to find something that was currently targetable with a drug that we had access to on the trial. Uh, what we found is it's probably, in our experience so far, been maybe three times that, so about 30% of patients. Um, which reflects, I think, a couple of things. One, that even though there are fewer mutations across the board in pediatric cancer in terms of the key molecular drivers uh, of tumors, there are, you know, there are a large number in kids, just as there are in adults. Some of them are a little bit different, but, but in terms of numbers they're the same. But then also, we have to remember that match, is not a population study, so we're not screening an unbiased set of patients. I mean, these are patients that have chosen to, and their families have chosen to enroll in their study. The oncologists have chosen to enroll them on the study, and so there's probably some uh, kind of pre-selection of patients that go on, like it's a patient who has a tumor type that is known to frequently have targetable changes, or a patient who's had previous molecular testing that's known to have a mutation of a particular gene. Um, So there's probably been some selection of patients, but we've been very gratified that that roughly 30% of patients uh, have had an actionable mutation for one of the drugs on the trial so far.
2: Yeah, that's pretty amazing and and what percentage of them have actually been able to access are you able to track all that and 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 maybe even have a, an effect or a benefit.
0: Yeah, so that that's that's this is exactly what 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 we're trying to learn. So in terms of the first step of, of whether a trial of this sort could be set up, whether centralized tumor testing could be done for patients all across the country within a week or two, so that we could get results in a time frame to make decisions and treat them. That's all been really successful. And so the next question, as you point out, is well, how many of those patients are actually able to, to uh, be treated on those trials? The vast majority of patients who have had a match have had access to one of the trials. Um, only a small number have not in cases where, for example, a particular trial, a treatment arm was temporarily closed for study reasons or because it was uh, between patient cohorts or, you know, something of that sort. Um, so very close to, you know, the, the the 25% of patients have been able to be matched to one of the treatment arms. Uh, roughly speaking, about half of patients who are matched have ended up enrolling on one of the trials. Uh, there's a number of reasons why they might not. Uh, we basically viewed match as an opportunity for patients to have tumor testing so that they could see if they had something that might be relevant for pediatric match or any other trials or available therapies that their oncologist might choose. And uh, But then also in terms of, of access to the drugs obviously for an individual patient and family and oncologist matches one of their treatment options in terms of uh, once their tumor has come back and we all know how challenging that can be in terms of deciding what sort of treatments to consider what sort of trials to consider and so uh roughly you know 40 to 50 percent of patients who have had a match have actually gone on to one of the trials which which i think is a, a pretty good number
1: and well, this pediatric match came on the heels of sort of the adult match trial. It, it, do you have any sense of how those numbers compare to what has been seen in the adult um, in the adult match um, or similar trials um, and potentially any reasons why there may be some differences between what was seen in the adult? Yeah.
0: They've actually been remarkably similar in terms of the numbers of patients with an actual mutation and the number of matched trials to to the adult matched study, which predated ours by a year or two and kind of formed some of the framework for what we've built upon for our study in terms of the test that's used and some of the infrastructure for the trial. So it's been quite similar, uh, which surprised us a little bit. We expect it to, to be to be lower. So in terms of the feasibility, it's it's been it's been quite feasible. And I think we kind of talk about this across the board for all the patients enrolled in the trial, but then we do have to remember that, that there's patients with different diagnoses, right? All, all different types. Um, and as we know, as we would have expected from some of the kind of genetic and biologic information we already knew, the match rate is very different or can be quite different for patients with different diagnoses, right? So for some of the brain tumors, for example, the gliomas and the high-grade gliomas, uh, a very large fraction of them have a mutation that can be targetable for one of the drugs on the study or others, where there's some of our other tumor types where that's just more challenging. I mean, what we saw is that there's kind of some baseline level, uh, maybe 10% of patients across diagnoses that have an actionable alteration, but then some of the different cancer types, it's much different. And so those are kind of some of the things that we're trying to learn and some of the things that I think in terms of making practical inferences for patients moving forward of different cancer types, uh, I think will be useful for their oncologists as they consider what their treatment options and testing options are.
1: Building on that, well, I think, and and you said a big piece of this was the feasibility of of just doing a trial like this in pediatrics. and And as you said, some of it is describing the genomic landscape of especially some of these very rare tumors. The treatment options were really within the confines of what drugs were available or accessible or deliverable within this trial. Do you see it uh, and is there a thought of how the the genomic data that has come out of MATCH um, potentially could be used to inform studies moving forward or or investigations moving forward for certain certain, patient populations.
0: Yeah, I think that that's uh, actually a very exciting aspect of the study for us. So obviously, first things first, we want to find effective drugs and and learn how to use them for our patients. But I think uh, in the background, the team has also been thinking about as you say, what, what do these results mean in terms of our future patients? What drugs would we like to have? What are some of the targetable mutations that we see in these patients that we don't currently have access to, to useful drugs for? And I think in the long run, that may be actually as important a part of the what comes out of the study as, as anything. So there are a number of things that actually we're focusing on right now. Uh, and this has, again, been a great uh, part of the collaboration between the COG or Children's Oncology Group and the NCI. So First of all, for example, in all this testing that we're doing as part of the study for the clinical testing and matching to patient trials is using relapsed or refractory uh, patient tumors. So the ones that have been biopsied or have had a surgery after the tumor has come back or the patient has not responded to some therapies. One really important question for us to understand is how the tumors are changing over time. And so we've also been getting access and a you know, maybe forty percent of patients, maybe a little bit more, to the original diagnostic tumors that are left over from when they first developed their cancer. Uh, so we can compare what mutations and changes are seen over time between the original diagnosis and the relapse, which I think is really important both for us to understand the biology of these refractory and and complicated tumors, but also has practical implications for uh, when molecular testing should be done, You know what we can make out of testing that's done at the time of diagnosis. If the results are largely unchanged for many t- genes, for example, at relapse, then it might uh, affect how we, how we do things. But then in parallel, we're also um, doing uh, the, the testing for the study, the clinical testing, is relatively targeted genomic testing. So it's looking at a couple of hundred specific genes that we, Think are most important for guiding selection of the therapies we have on the trial. So, from those same samples, we're also uh, testing, uh, doing much more extensive research studies that have actually are ongoing now, uh, partnering with the NCI. So, looking at doing whole genome sequencing and RNA sequencing and exome sequencing and all, all these different, you know, kind of large scale methods to try and extract every bit of possible information from these patient's uh, samples and and the information that they're giving us uh, in this collaboration. So I think in terms of understanding the biology and genetics of refractory and treat like relapsed pediatric cancers, I think it'll be very important because that's something that as, as much genetic and genomic data as we have about pediatric cancers, almost all of our studies are focused on newly diagnosed patients because that's when we have, you know, the samples from. And so I think These patients now, I mean, both clinically and through the trials, obviously, there's been so much success in pediatric oncology in terms of more effectively treating a number of diagnoses, but these patients who still have the very hard-to-treat tumors are the ones that we're really, really, really trying hard to focus on, and so I think for those patients, uh, some of those studies from pediatric match could be very important in the future.
2: How often do you see uh, situations where it looks like there might be multiple drivers within a cancer, and what's the prospect for a future combo match?
0: That's a a great question. So this is one place where we did notice differences between the pediatric match trial and the adult match trial uh, based on kind of the idea, as I said, that the adult cancers are often more, what we would say, genomically complex. They have more mutations. They have more changes that have occurred over time. So, for adult patients, it was much more frequent to see multiple different drivers or multiple different kind of targetable mutations. In pediatrics, we do see it, but it's much less common. For many of our cancer types, there's kind of one primary driver, and then there may be others that are also playing an important role, but at least in terms of the genetic testing we do, it looks more straightforward. That said, we know when we target one of these individual genes or pathways that, that there are various resistance mechanisms and other ways that the tumors get around it, even if we can't detect, you know, a, a, another mutation in those patients. And so I think just like we think of, of combination treatment being the way to go for the vast majority of our patients, including, you know, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, multiple different types of chemotherapy, the same concept holds here as, as well for the targeted therapies. And so we're actually we're very excited to be um, a team uh, at the Children's Oncology Group and the NCI is currently uh, partnering on, on planning the first kind of pediatric uh, arms of the NCI combo match trial, which will come online sometime in the next year or two. I'm not sure of an exact date, uh, but coming soon. So that'll be exciting because an opportunity to, to uh, use multiple different drugs to, to target some of these changes, which we expect will be even more effective.
1: And and, well, what is the current status of the NCI match trial? Um, I know that you have recently presented and at different times um, data from the study. Is it completing? Are there still arms open? Are people still enrolling? Um, What is the current status?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. We're kind of moved into a new stage or a new phase of a pediatric match. So the trial first opened in July, I think, I have to go back up 2017. So more than five years ago. Now we've had 13, in addition to the screening protocol, which all the patients enrolled on, there've been 13 different uh, phase two trials of targeted therapies as part of the study. And we're now at the point where a handful of those trials have, have completed and are currently being analyzed. The first, uh, uh, with the drug selumetinib was was recently published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology, and there's a sequence of the additional studies that two more were presented at the ASCO meeting uh, this June and then, you know, will be published hopefully in relatively short order. And so there's a series of them. So we have uh, roughly half of the trials have been completed or, or, or closed at this point, and roughly half remain open. Um, We've also moved, which is exciting, because there's definitely been progress in terms of of getting those completed, which is the primary goal of the study. So it's really gratifying to see those data come out and be able to to share it with with our colleagues in the community. But then we've also made a change in that uh, there's also been a change a little bit in, in the landscape of molecular testing for pediatric cancer patients. So it's become much more common, especially for kids and adults with refractory or relapsed cancers to have some type of what we'd call molecular profiling, genome sequencing, that sort of thing done as part of their kind of uh, workup and, and, and to prepare for decision-making. And so uh, as of January of 2022, we're no longer doing the centralized molecular testing as part of kind of the match protocol. Uh, so we're running the same trials, but essentially now starting to use results of molecular testing performed at outside laboratories, so uh, data that are already available for patients, um, with the idea being that that actually, for some patients, will increase uh, ability to enroll on the study because, for example, for the first part of pediatric match, if there was no relapsed tumor available to test, then we couldn't test it, and those weren't patients who could be enrolled and, and treated on the trial. So now, and sometimes there's very limited tissue available from some of these biopsies, as we know. So now... We can use uh, results of, of outside molecular testing from clinical, you know, labs that do that sort of thing. But then, you know, the, the other part of the change of that is that there are also other uh, ways for our patients, in addition to molecular testing, that can be ordered by their oncologists. Access to that through the NCI's Molecular Characterization Initiative, for example, which provides clinical-grade molecular testing for specific pediatric cancer patients. Another of a, a number of other sources for that. So. The short answer to summarize all of that is: is a number of the trials have been successfully completed. There are a few handful of others that we're looking to complete over the next year or two, and we've kind of evolved in terms of the the tumor testing or screening part of a trial to, to a new stage. So it's exciting for us to uh, and gratifying to make progress through kind of the lifespan of, of pediatric match.
2: It's really an amazing amount of progress in five years. Is really a, a relatively short period of time for something this this large and expansive. And it seems like you have overcome lots of hurdles and made made a lot of progress. I guess I'm I'm wondering if you could paint a vision for us where you think things should be in the future and, and what are the barriers to get there. And what could people that are listening, advocates or others, sort of keep in mind that that they need to work on to overcome some of those barriers, be they be they insurance or logistics or or whatnot. Yeah.
0: Yeah, those are great questions. I I think the primary, well, one thing that's become very clear uh, from the results of Pediatric Match, which we knew from other, you know, more basic research and other biology studies, is that there are a number of the really important drivers, really important genes that are related to pediatric cancer that we do not yet have drugs that we can be testing in the clinic for, or we don't have a wide variety of those drugs, right? So, Adult cancers, uh, there's certain type of genes called protein kinases, which are signaling genes within the cells uh, that are very commonly mutated in a wide variety of adult cancers, and, and in pediatrics as well, but in adult cancers that are, have been some of the ones that have been straightforward isn't the right word, but, but many of them have been able to be successfully targeted with, 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 with uh, drugs. In pediatric cancers, we have some really important genes to us, MYC, beta-catenin, uh, P53, a number of these others where there are some potential agents targeting those, but far fewer, and it's been far less you know, effective uh, in terms of its stage of advancement than some of the others. So I think, f- to me, the big message that's come out of Pediatric Match in terms of future work is uh, the need to really focus on, on developing better strategies for treating children whose drivers are some of them, those that we concern, currently consider untargetable, although that's a generalization, or, or more difficult to target, that there's still, we've seen the potential for this type of approach, and we can find those mutations, we can say which patients have, have them, you know, mutated in their tumors, but in terms of doing something about it, we're much more limited. So that, that to me actually has been the, the big lesson in terms of current and future challenge from pediatric match.
2: No, that's a great, good, great point. More drug discovery, more target discovery and, and drug discovery, drug development. Call, a call to arms for academicians and industry, I guess. Uh, we're pretty much running up against time. Brenda, what are your final questions or comments?
1: Yeah, my my uh, will be a final comment and just to thank um, Will for the incredible leadership and in tour de force for for this, you know, transformative effort in in pediatric oncology, and I think really highlighting the need for collaboration in pediatric oncology. I think, you know, this has been a real example of collaboration between the Children's Oncology Group, the NCI, academia, industry. I think, Tim, as you just said, it, in and all the steps forward, really say we have to focus on the unique aspects of pediatric oncology, and I think really highlight the need for us to continue these huge collaborative efforts. And the amount of data and information I think that is going to continue to come from this incredible data resource um, is going to be informative for many years to come. So my uh, mine is really a comment of tremendous thanks and admiration for this incredible work and thank you for sharing the, the insights into the challenges of doing this kind of a study but also the vision for, for the future. So thank you. Thanks.
2: I will echo that, and thanks for being here to share share that with us, and um, keep up the great work.
0: Thanks. It's great to see you guys, as always. Good to
2: see you. Uh, Not only thanks to Will, but also thanks to the team at Solving Kids Cancer, a nonprofit charity dedicated to improving survival through creating novel treatment options for children. Remember, the more we learn, communicate, share ideas, and work together, the faster we'll reach the day when all childhood cancer is preventable or curable. As always, keep up the fight, and thanks for listening to This Week. In pediatric oncology.
0: We welcome your comments, questions, or thoughts on topics for future episodes. Just drop us a note at twipo at solvingkidscancer.org. You can follow Dr. Kripe on Twitter at kidsoncdoc. Send an email to Dr. Weigel at weige007 at umn.edu and find all Twipo episodes
2: at solvingkidscancer.org.